For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays. And same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live. Same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Friday edition of New York, New York, live from the Encore in Las Vegas, Nevada. I actually have a pep in my step, despite the back nine I played at Bally Halley or whatever the hell the golf course I was playing at. And I think it's because we have so much to talk about. There is a lot to cram in to this hour plus pod, whatever the case it's going to be. I don't even know where to begin. I'm buzzing after the net game. Julius Randle, get him the hell out. We'll get to that. But I got to start with the thing that probably had me the most on edge. And I think it's because of me not getting Wi-Fi on the plane and me getting all sorts of lackluster sleep on the plane. Turn the Wi-Fi on, have the airplane mode on, get a zillion texts when I land. I'd say 70% of them were related to the comments Brian Cashman made in the interview he gave with The Athletic. And listen, let's call it what it is. That was lame. That was excuse-making. That was pathetic. I hate the Astros. I can't stand the Astros. The idea, though, that you as an executive for the New York freaking Yankees are going to have the audacity to say, we should have won a championship. I don't look at it like we have a title drought because we should have won in 2017. What kind of bullshit is that? I mean, in all seriousness, you're the Yankees. You don't make excuses like that. You didn't score in Houston. Who's to say you would have beat the Dodgers? 
there are so many if, 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 if to say, oh, well, we, we treat it like we won a championship. No. Yeah, the Astros cheated. Yeah, it didn't sit well with me. But to use that as the, like, excuse for why you haven't won, give me a break. That's lame. I expect better. I expect more out of Brian Cashman. What Yankee fan heard those comments today and, and felt better about the team and where they stand over the last five to six years? How could you? Is that a sign of things to come for the 2022 season? I have no idea. Here's my advice to the Yankees, to Cashman, to Boone, to anybody in that clubhouse. Go beat the Astros. Go beat the Rays. Go beat Toronto. Go beat Boston. Beat these teams. Don't make excuses. Go and prove why you're the best in the American League, if indeed that's the case. Don't use the sign stealing as an excuse for a title drought. Oh, that did not sit well with me. I expect more out of Brian Brian Cashman came up from the Steinbrenner regime. Back when George was George. Could you imagine Steinbrenner making that sort of an excuse? Could you imagine somebody in his front office making that excuse and George hearing about it and how he'd react to it? And I hate doing this because, listen, I know this is not the Steinbrenner-led, George Steinbrenner-led. They are the Steinbrenner-led, but they're not the George Steinbrenner-led New York Yankees. But my golly, like, that, it's just unsettling. It, it, it really, really bothers me because it's lame. And it's a loser's mentality. Now, we're going to have Todd Zeal on in a little bit. We'll preview the Mets season. The last thing you want to be hearing about, the last thing you want to be reading about, and we literally just saw this like five seconds ago. Jacob DeGrom missing his next start. Shoulder issues. It never ends. This is my biggest fear with the Mets going into the season. DeGrom and Scherzer is hands down the best one-two punch in baseball if they're on the mound. DeGrom, there's uncertainty there. Got hurt last year. Torpedoed the entire season. You can't have another year where Jake's only going to throw 130 innings. Not with the improvements that the Philadelphia Phillies have made. And now with the Atlanta Braves being reigning division champs and reigning world champs. Can't have it. I'm not saying that the Grom's going to go and throw 240 innings this year. That's not my expectation. That's not my desire. It's not a must for the Mets. But, like, after last year, I don't want to be hearing about any issues with the arm a week before opening day. Yeah, I don't know what's the opening day status at this point for Jake. Everyone was up in arms that Max Scherzer and the Mets were going to be on Apple TV for their second start. Who knows? Maybe Max is going to be on SNY after all. You can watch on opening night in a normal SNY viewing pleasure on the SNY app, by the way, which I promoted 10 zillion times. That's not what you want to hear if you're a Mets. Because the Mets have a lot going for them. They have a lot of positive vibes going. But if Jake is not Jake, like the Mets blueprint to win a championship this year, it is simple. It's Jake, Scherzer, boom, boom. Yeah, Bassett is going to be a solid number three. Carrasco, Walker, we'll see. But you're banking on Scherzer and DeGrom being Schilling and Johnson. That's what you're banking on. Shoulder issue after last year, not ideal. Not ideal. So say a prayer if you're a Met fan. Now, 
the basketball game we watched tonight. Fabulous, fabulous game. And what a horrific, horrific melt for the Brooklyn Nets. They were up nine with three minutes to go. This game looks like it's in the bag for Brooklyn. To the point where you're thinking, geez, going to get this podcast started a little earlier. The Nets are going to be feeling good about themselves. Really good win. Giannis takes over the game. Hits free throws, which is shocking because you never expect Giannis to hit free throws. That's the one Achilles heel of his game. Hits the step back three to tie it. Another one of the so-called weaknesses of Giannis's game. And the game goes in overtime. And in overtime, listen, it was the Durant-Giannis show. It was like blow for blow for blow with those two guys. Theater, work of art, fabulous to watch. Sign me up right now for a best of seven with those two teams, especially considering the best of seven that we had last year, where I know a lot of Brooklyn fans are salty. The injury, Durant's foot being on the line, what could have been, blah, blah, blah. Well, Milwaukee has taken it up a notch over these final couple of weeks. Look at that comeback win in Philadelphia. Look at their win here tonight against Brooklyn. This is going to be a tall order for a team like Brooklyn to go and beat Milwaukee four out of seven. And that's with Middleton not even playing in the overtime session. Milwaukee on paper is better than the Nets. The better. They have the pedigree, they have the experience, and they have the chemistry. They have a team that is used to playing with one another. That makes, a, to me, a world of difference. A lot of fouls at the end of the game, but hey, credit Giannis. Hit the big free throws when he needed to. And, you know, Steph and I were talking about this before we got on the air. It was a lot of Durant at the end of the game. Kyrie Irving felt like he disappeared in the overtime session. Definitely could have had a couple more looks. A little food for thought. But you got a nine-point lead with three minutes to go. You got to win the game. You got to find a way to win the game. Now, Brooklyn's going to get in the plan. They're going to win the plan. They get Milwaukee in the first round. I'm telling you right now, folks, I will not be picking them. So, remember I said that. I will not be picking it. Now, a team that won't have anything to worry about in two weeks when it comes to playoffs and playing and all that stuff, that's the Knickerbockers. And the Randall stunt from the other day really put a knot in my stomach because it's pig shit. There's no other way to say it. When your team wins a game against a playoff contender, good win, feel good game. And I got to see Julius Randall after the game slamming the basketball and pouting because Obi Toppin was playing a majority of the crunch time minutes. Dude, check yourself. This idea that Randall wants out, I hope there's a taker. Please. Somebody do the Knicks a favor and take that contract off of their hands. Think about where we were a year ago with Julius. Julius was the favorite son of New York. He was all NBA. He made the all-star team. The Knicks were a top four seed. Now it's taking on the fans. Bad body language all season. And the head coach deserves blame for that because he has not checked Julius Randle at all. That's one of my major critiques with Tom Thibodeau throughout the course of this year. Julius Randle not getting back on defense. Julius Randle making bonehead, selfish basketball plays on way too many occasions. On full display. And... I don't see this relationship being salvaged, folks. I, I, I really don't. You want to tell me Randall's on a team next year because, well, they can't find a taker? Yeah, but I think we'll be revisiting these conversations 
Randall's never going to be as good as he was last year. That's just the God's honest truth. He's never going to be as good as he was last year. And the Knicks, looking back on it, they made a big mistake. They made a big mistake because they can do it again. They don't give him that contract extension. So Randall wants out, great. Just find me a taker in the NBA. That's the bigger issue. Is there going to be a team in the NBA that wants and desires to take on that contract? And I know he's like probably the 50th or the 51st highest salary in the league. So listen, I know the NBA, these contracts, the cap, it's always ever-changing. So a contract that looks awful doesn't look so bad two or three years later. That commitment with Julius Randle, who is taking on that commitment? That's what I'd love to know. Who's doing it? Sacramento, I thought, was a team. They added a bunch of forwards to trade that line, including Sabonis. So, find me to take. That's that's my challenge. For the offseason, for the Knicks, just get Julius Randle the hell out of here. I'll even take Westbrook for a year and suck it up and deal with his nonsense for a season if it means getting rid of Randle. I would do that. And I'm no fan of Westbrook at this stage in his career, but for a year, nah, I would do it. I would absolutely do it. It's a lot to discuss, folks. This is what you call a loaded show, and we got a Final Four to get ready for. And you want to talk about a highly anticipated Final Four. You got Kansas, Villanova, and then you have Duke, Carolina, with everything that's on the line for Duke. This, this is a game Duke has to win. Coach K's final home game spoiled by Carolina. Could you imagine his career walking off that court, losing to Carolina again? Those Duke kids losing to Carolina again, they will never live it down. Like, there are certain games you just have to win. This is one of those games Duke has to, has to, has to win. Will they? Stay tuned for Ring of Gambling tomorrow. All right, we'll have Todd Zeal coming up in a little bit. Let's do voicemails right out of the gate, Stefano. I'm feeling the voicemails. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to discuss. So we'll do voicemails into Todd, and then we'll have some fun with some trivia and Jeff Money. All right, let's hear them. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Voicemail time and Sunday's pot. Here's what I want. Yankee met X Factor for why they're going to win the division this year. Give me the guy. And let's get creative, folks. Don't give me Scherzer for the Mets. Don't give me Judge for the Yankees. You guys are smart New York baseball fans. That's what I want on the voicemail line. And how do you leave a voicemail in New York, New York? It's 917-382-1151. Biggest X factor for the Yankees and the Mets if they're going to have successful 2022 seasons. And we will be having maybe a little anniversary party because we are ringing in the one-year celebration of New York, New York. My goodness, can you believe it's been a year? Time flies, folks. I remember the butterflies and the jitters doing the first podcast that Sunday, right before the national championship when Baylor whooped Gonzaga. I remember it well. It's been a year. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. 
sports been off the charts. The green rooms are off the charts. We got gambling show. We got all sorts of stuff cooking. So, so far, so good. One year into the New York, New York ringer love affair, I guess you could say. All right, voicemail time. Let's hear them. JJ, uh, Billy from Queens here. Just finished watching the Nets-Bucks game here on Thursday night, and I really need to blame this on Steve Nash. I mean, when the Nets had that last shot in regulation, he didn't even drop a fucking play. He just gave the ball to KD, and KD got double teamed, and he missed the fucking shot. And then the first two plays of overtime are KD, ISO, three-pointers. What the fuck is that? Like, we need to pass the ball and get some ball movement if we're going to beat the Bucks in OT. Giannis can do that. Giannis can charge at you, or he can take the three, and they don't have the options that the Nets do, but just really disappointing given where we are in the seating. And to see coaching like that when the playoffs are coming up in like a week, a week and a half, where the fuck am I supposed to get hope that this team with this coach is going to win a championship? Absurd. I'm fucking pissed off. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, it's a bad loss. You had nine-point lead with three and a half minutes to go. You got to win the game. Was it a great look at the end of regulation? No. But you know what? You're going to trust Durant there. Durant had the option to pass there. He's not going to do that. He's Kevin Durant. You want him taking the shot? He didn't hit it. I think the critique in overtime is, where's Kyrie Irving? Because it's a fair one. Where was Kyrie Irving in the overtime session? You're going to need Durant. Durant's your best player. He's the best player in the league. So, listen, trusting your best player, that to me is not on the coach. The end of the game, though, got to play better defense. Can't be fouling Giannis left and right. And listen, Giannis made some spectacular plays. You're going to live with Giannis taking that step back three, up three, any day of the week. If he hits it, you're going to tip your cap. That was one of four from three. You're going to tip your cap if he hits a shot like that. I mean, Giannis today was 44, 14, and six. Yeah, I'll play Durant. Case closed. I'll play him. Can't sell me any other way. And I love Durant. I always proclaim he's the best player in the league. On this day, on the floor tonight, in this game, Giannis is the best player. Can't tell me otherwise. He threes, he free throws, played bully ball, did it all. Who's next? JJ, Justin in Miami. You know, the Knicks very quietly have played very well. Since that Phoenix game, I think it was about a month ago, it's a tough schedule. They've got, they're about nine and four, and a lot of the games are close losses to really good teams. And really kind of what it's shown me is, the number one imperative in the offseason to me has to be to find a way to get rid of Julius Randle. The team just plays better without him. You know, he just seems to be moping, and he seems to have taken it very personal, you know, the reaction he's gotten from New York fans. And when you see how OB Toppin has played with extended minutes, I, to me the goal of next year has to be to get Randle out of here and get OB in, even if you have to throw in, you know, some sort of heavily protected first-round pick. I don't want Julius Randle on the roster. I mean, to me – at this point, all he's doing is blocking Toppin. I'd rather have a team, you know, with Toppin starting and give some more of these young guys. Because from what I've seen the last couple of months, I understand sometimes you have to be careful that a team could play well for 20 games doesn't represent what they'll do the next year. But this is a team which, which could maybe fight for 500 or maybe a little above next year. But 
I don't see Randall long-term here. And, and it kind of got me to another thing. I was trying to think of another player in New York what, that New York really turned on so fast who had a really good year and then it just all fell apart. And I couldn't think of one. I mean, the only couple guys that came to mind was Janoris Jenkins had a really good first year for the Giants when they signed him. And then it sort of immediately turned on him. And I remember back in 95 when the Yankees first acquired Ruben Sierra, he had a great, like, second half of the season when they brought him over from Texas, and then the next year it all fell apart for him. I'm wondering if you can recall anyone else who's really had such a quick fall from grace as Randall in New York sports. All right, talk to you later. It's a great question. Great, great question. First off, Julius Randall's got to be off this team next year. Whether it's freeing up playing time for Obi Toppin, just getting rid of that contract, resetting the books, by any means necessary, the Knicks need to move Julius Randall. I hope they're able to do so. Santonio Holmes is the name that comes to mind. Santonio Holmes was great for the Jets in 2010. Great. He made so many big plays. He had so many clutch catches, clutch moments. The following year, he was a complete malcontent. To the point where at the end of the year, he basically quit on his team down in South Florida. You remember that? They were yelling and screaming on the sidelines. Santonio Holmes... Year one, fantastic. Year two, total dog. Wanted him off the team. Wanted nothing to do with the guy. I'm trying to think of others. Ruben Sierra is a good one. Janoris Jenkins is a good one. That whole giant 2016 free agency class, they're all great the first year, and then they were just god-awful the second year. Can't say Cespedes because he ended up having a really strong finish to 2016, too. I don't like that as an example. Yeah, I'm going to stick with Santonio Holmes. I might add a few over the next couple of days, maybe over a Bloody Mary, over a beverage. But uh, Santonio Holmes is the one to come to mind. Ruben Sierra is a good one. And remember, Ruben Sierra was one of the few guys to come back with a second stint with the Yankees. And Ruben was great in the second stint as a Yankee. I remember he hit a grand slam against the Twins in the playoffs. He hit one of the more forgotten clutch pinch hits that you're ever going to see in Game 4 of the 2003 World Series against Ugef Urbina. Yankees tied that game late. That was Clemens Pavano. And then Boone didn't get a run in. Torrey went to Weaver instead of Mariano in a tie game. And Alex Gonzalez hit a home run. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right, who's next? Hey, JJ. Eric Tan in Florida. First time calling in a while. Got spring training going about time, but I'm uh, just like you in respect that I invest about zero in what I see in spring training, even though it was a little comical seeing Greg Bird hit a home run against the Yankees the other day. Um, but enough on baseball, basketball, uh, the, the March Madness has been amazing. I actually have a perfect final four going into this weekend. Uh, and then naturally it's the only time my bracket is worth maybe $20 total for the very small buy-in that I did. But hey, couple shekels in the pocket. But now over to where's the love for the Rangers, JJ? You said we were going to get some more hockey, but Rangers are currently the best team in New York. Uh, I mean, unless you want to count St. Peter's in their run. But Brooklyn, honestly, it doesn't even matter until the play-in. The Knicks are done. Rangers are sitting at one of the top three teams in the Met in the best division in hockey. They got the number three goal scorer in the NHL. Two of the best players in terms of Panarin and Zabinijad. Fox is going to be a finalist for the Norris Trophy, and Shisterkin might be the best goalie in the NHL. We're not talking about them at all. 
I mean, they're the best team at the Garden right now. It's not even close, and for the foreseeable future. So let's get some talk about the uh, about hockey. As we got less than 20 games of the regular season showing up to the NHL playoffs, which, as far as I'm concerned, is a lot more entertaining than the NBA playoffs. Of the pie, I've been listening, even though I haven't calling. Keep up the good work. Take it easy. Well, I appreciate that. Look, the Rangers have been fantastic all year. They're eight and two in their last ten. What a year, first of all, that Kreider is at. You know, Crowder's scoring 40-plus goals. I always liked him as a player. 40-plus goals for Chris Crowder. Super, super, super impressive. They had a nice overtime win yesterday in Detroit. And the way it shakes out for them, that race to win the division, tight, with Carolina, the Rangers, and the Penguins. We could be looking at a Ranger-Penguin first-round series. Get your popcorn ready for that one. That'd be one hell of a series. but. Come playoff time, we'll get the Rangers in there. Don't you worry. We'll get them in there. All right, last but not least, let's hear it. JJ, Matt from Williamsport. How we doing, brother? Long time no talk. Baseball's back. Just read the athletic article that had Brian Cashman citing that the reason the Yankees haven't won was because they were caught up in a cheating scandal. JJ, the Astros won one World Series. They haven't won one since 2009. I get that we had to go through the rebuilding thing, what, that five seasons? You still blaming them? Yeah, you gotta let this shit go. I mean, they gotta let it go and move the fuck on. Maybe the reason we haven't won a World Series is because you fired our manager and hired a puppet. Maybe it's because we didn't have pitching. Maybe it's because the lineup is all people that either strike out, walk, or hit a home run. JJ, if I hear any more about the disastrous cheating scandal, I'm gonna snap. But baseball's back. Yankees looking good. I actually like a lot of what we did this offseason. You know, after the season, after the Red Sox beat us, I was like, I'm out. But you're right. I'm all the way back in. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm taking off for opening day. Let's go. See? You always get suckered back in. And I'll be suckered in going into the year. I expect the Yankees to be a playoff team. And if you're a playoff team, the way baseball's set up, you can win the whole damn thing. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the Astros cheating scandal, too. Enough. We'll see if the edge that Josh Donaldson and maybe full-year Anthony Rizzo is going to be exactly what this Yankee clubhouse needed. I appreciate the fact that Brian Cashman realized his clubhouse was stale and needed a kick in the ass. He should have realized the manager was part of the problem, but listen, he decided to think differently. We'll see who's right. We'll see who's wrong. It's not worth arguing and discussing because the die is cast, the bet is made, it is what it is. Don't make excuses, though, about why you haven't won a title the last couple of years. You've had a good team, but it hasn't been good enough. That's what I want to hear. Don't say all oh, the Astros cheated. That should have been your World Series. Really, you would have had to beat the Dodgers, number one. Number two, you didn't score in Houston. That has nothing to do with sign stealing. Number three, you had to beat the Dodgers. So a whole lot of what-ifs before you would have won a title. Go actually win one. And then maybe we don't have to have this dopey conversation. All right, my main man, Todd Zillow, had a terrific big league career. And I was, like, going through his, like, baseball reference. I knew he killed the Yankees. I remember him killing the Yankees as a kid. He played on all teams that lost to the Yankees. He always played well against them. He actually had a cameo. Hit a home run. I can't believe he hit a home run his first at bat as a Yankee. But Todd Zio, who does pre and post all year with Gary Apple on SNY, he's fantastic. We'll preview the Mets season coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity 
on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. So I think this is probably the most like highly anticipated Mets season in a long, long time. I don't want to go back to when this guy was on the team because listen, Pedro Delgado, right race. There was a lot of anticipation for 07 after the 06 year. Then after the Mets go to the World Series in 15, there was hype. But Todd Zeal, who does a phenomenal job on SNY, he's ready to rock for the start of the 2022 season. In your years of doing pre and post, is this like the most juiced you think the fan base has been for a season? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a couple of reasons um, behind it. Obviously, uh, the the core team that's been developed over the last couple of years um, has shown, you know, there's these flashes of uh, of brilliance and where you think, oh, this team's really getting ready to come together. And for some reason, they haven't been able to really put together a full season. And then, um, obviously, the uh, the uh, bet uh, of, uh, of Steve Cohen buying the team, feeling like he's got some passion and some, um, you know, some money behind some of the moves he's making um, have really kind of heightened some of that anticipation. But look, the reality is guys named Scherzer, DeGrom, Lindor, Alonzo, um, Escobar, uh, you know, you can keep going down the list is what is really exciting about this season. So I, I think there's, um, you know, Mets spring, you know, always brings eternal op- optimism as a guy that knows Mets fans well. And that eternal optimism has unfortunately, uh, you know, been been squandered over the course of the season the last few years. I think there's real reason to have optimism going into the season. No doubt about it. And how about the presence that Buck Showalter brings to the table? You know, Todd, you think about the last couple of years, don't want to rag on Louis Rojas, but he's a first-time manager that was on the job training. Calway, when he's running the team, same sort of deal. You got a guy who's coming in here. He knows what it takes to win in New York. He's won every stop along his managerial road. Yankees, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Orioles. I know he hasn't won a title, but he's a program builder. Did you get a sense it was a much different look to spring training from like a managerial standpoint, the way Buck was going about his business compared to the other guys? Yeah, I think there's definitely a confidence that Buck brings. I think there's sort of uh, the the adult in the room, the guy that's got experience. I think that one of the things that we talked about a lot during last season and it has nothing to do with the quality um, of leadership that Louis Rojas brought to the table because I think he's a phenomenal young manager. I think he's going to be very successful as he goes. But he was given a handful of um, you know situations that were going to be hard for any first-time manager. I think some of those have been alleviated with some addition, um, you know, by subtraction, if you will. And I think some of the other things that I think Louis had to deal with are going to be sorted by a guy like Scherzer coming in, being a real leader in the clubhouse. And then all of that, I think, just sets up nicely for a guy like Buck, who is a a very good communicator. He um, welcomes uh, analytics. He's very detail-oriented, but he's still got 
some of that old school in him where he's not afraid to tell somebody how he's feeling. He's not afraid to look a veteran in the eye and say, hey, you need to do something different. And he's certainly going to keep control of that clubhouse in a way that these guys, I think, are going to gel together and not feel separated. Um, and I, I just, you know, had sensed that just in the in the time that I was down in Port St. Lucie for a week and a half over, you know, a couple of weeks period. And just the vibe when the guys walk out on the field, the vibe in the clubhouse, um, I think everybody's so happy to have people back around and have this sort of return to what was so, some kind of normalcy. And then on top of that, um, the Scherzer, Showalter, um, and additions of, uh, you know, some of the other personnel, I think have really made it exciting this spring. Todd, talk me through what it's like watching Max Scherzer go through a spring. I know you were down there. Scherzer is this intense, badass competitor. So watching him go about his craft, kind of take me through what that's like throughout spring training is, is like that fiery competitor that we see on the mound. Are we seeing the same guy in February and March? I think the answer is yes, right? The answer is absolutely yes. And I was actually shocked at um, how intense he is just, you know, on a daily basis, walking out to the field to do his, you know, his normal routine, getting in the, in the mound of the bullpen, with four other pitchers throwing next to him and, uh, you know, just getting his work in. He's directing the catcher where he wants him, and he's very vocal about it. He's talking to himself uh, when he makes a good pitch or when he makes a pitch that he doesn't like. He's correcting himself. And it's all of the same things that I would say a guy like Jacob DeGrom probably has going on in his mind internally. Max just has a tendency to have it all be external. Everything's out of the sleeve. Everything's out of the open. No filter. And um, he knows what he wants. He knows what he needs. I, I told this story on the air that he had a conversation with Alonzo about where he likes the ball to be fed to him when he's covering first base. And Pete's like, I, I take a lot of pride in that. I worked hard on it. I really, and he's like, yeah, but I like it right here. And he's like, you know, you just, you have no, no choice, but to listen to this guy. And especially with the pedigree that he comes with the intensity that he brings to the team. And then I thought something was really interesting the other day on the broadcast, watching him pitch because I've watched him pitch so many times as an opposing player. And so you're not, you're, he's not your home guy. So you don't see what goes on in the dugout. The other feeds might see it, but our feed doesn't see it. So now as a home player, it's one thing to watch him on the mound. And then when he walks out the mound, the camera stayed on him. He didn't sit down for six innings in, in that uh, game that he threw with Jake the other day. He's pacing up and down the dugout. He's talking to Hefner. He's got, he's going through in his mind. He's, uh, you know, mimicking how he missed a certain pitch. I mean, this guy's got crazy intensity, and I think it can only be great for this team. You know, it's a great point. And I go back to, uh, to when Roger Clemens came to the Yankees, and Roger Clemens, listen, was busting Andy Pettit. He was busting the other young pitchers on that Yankee staff. And I remember at that time, they kind of fed off of that, and it ended up being a really good thing for the team. I see similar vibes with Max. That intensity he's bringing to workouts, the idea of you telling me, hey, Pete, I want the ball right here. I can only imagine what his catchers are going to be hearing. I can only imagine what the other pitchers on his staff are going to be hearing. And I think for a guy like DeGrom, who is intense in his own way, has been the alpha of this staff for the last couple of years, it takes some of the pressure off of him. But from like a competition standpoint, Todd, 
I think it's a great thing for Jake having somebody like Max with him, going about his business, learning from him. I mean, that's just positive vibes across the board with that sort of competition. Agreed, 100%. And I think people that watch from the outside and are fans would think, okay, for a, a, a team to really gel, everybody's got to be patting everybody on the back and supporting. There's some of that that's true. But internal competition is as important to get the most out of your guys as external competition. And I think um, that goes back to another thing that I'm sure Buck Showalter knows. There's there's reasons to have guys help push each other, whether they be, you know, hey, we're going to give this guy some playing time so it keeps everybody else motivated. But a guy like Max, along with Jake, I think they're going to internally push each other. And it's not really a competition where they're trying to beat one another, but they're trying to elevate their own games to a level that they both have never been before because they're the two best potentially in the game right now and they're on the same staff. So I, I can't wait to watch it uh, play out. And just one more thing regarding Max. The other, um, you know, earlier in the spring, I had a chance to sit with Steve Gelbs and just um, do a live stream of his inner squad game. And, you know, he's pitching to his own teammates. Tom Smith takes him deep twice. He did not like that at all. And I made the I made the point to Gelbs that it reminds me of 1988. I was a minor leaguer. I decided I was going to drive to spring training. And um, growing up a, a lifelong Dodger fan, I said, you know what? I've never been to Vero Beach. I'm going to go to Vero Beach and, and watch a, a ball game before I head down to St. Pete with the Cardinal camp. And so I did. I, I get a ticket. I sit behind the Dodger dugout. I'm thrilled. This is just before game time. <clears throat> and it happened to be the one day in that season where Mickey Hatcher had, who's a, a prankster, put the eye black on the inside of Kirk Gibson's hat. And Gibson put the hat on, took it off, realized he had it all over his face. Aha, man, funny, funny. Everybody's laughing. Hatcher's laughing. Gibson snapped. And he not, it's, it's a famous snap, but he snapped and he took that hat off. He threw it down on the ground. He said, I'm not here to up and play, you know, pranks and, and have fun. I'm here to up and win. If you guys aren't on board, then I'm out of here. And he jumped up over the dugout in his cleats, walked out of the stadium and, uh, you know, took off that day. And he said, you know, I don't play this game. And, you know, the rest is history. The 88, uh, 88 Dodgers go on to win the World Series, Gibson being the MVP, all of those things. Um, it just set the tone right there. And there's a lot of guys who were on that 88 team that reflected that very moment in time knowing, oh, this year is going to be different. I think Max has that same kind of intensity that he can bring to this Mets team. That's a really good sign to me if you're a Mets fan. Now, Todd, I'd argue if the Mets have everybody cooking in this rotation, it's the best in baseball. Now, there are a lot of ifs. Scherzer giving you a full year. Jake giving you a full year. Bassett was an all-star, but obviously the injury is a concern. If there's an X factor out of the big two that's going to make this rotation the best in baseball, who's the guy, in your opinion, that's stepping up in a big way? Uh, besides the big two you're talking about? Correct, yes. I think a big key to this, I, I think Bassett's going to be just fine. I talked to him. He's calm. I don't think the injury has any real impact. He, he showed um, what he can do even last night. But I think Taiwan Walker, to me, is uh, a key because I think the Mets got this guy last year and had 
just this overwhelming um, first half to where there was no real expectations on him. So he outperformed every expectation, made the all-star team, and was really phenomenal to watch in the first half. And then he went through some dead arm, he struggled, and there may have been some issues with grip and all the other things that people talk about, not that it was um, anything to do with super sticky stuff, but I think a lot of the guys in the second half kind of had to figure out um, a different routine to really get command of their pitches again. And I think Taiwan lost a little bit of his confidence um, with his fastball and, um, you know, he struggled. Now, what I've seen from him this year, obviously he's coming off um, knee surgery, but look, I think he is a key because I think he can um, build up innings. I think he's a great guy that goes out and works fast and gives the, uh, the team a chance to win every time he's out there. And I love his competitiveness. I think he's got that same sort of competitive drive to him that some of these other guys that we're talking about. So um, you get the big two. Those are a given. If they stay healthy, that's going to be outstanding. I, I think Taiwan uh, is a huge key. And then look, you're going to get you're going to get added help from uh, David Peterson and, and and Tyler McGill. And the guy that's funny that nobody's even talking about is Carrasco. He's come over. He's an all star. He's a guy that, um, you know, I think the expectations are, are a little low because he was um, he underperformed a little bit last year. But this is a whole different you know, season coming in this time. And he can kind of go under the radar and think be a really, you know, solid piece to a very, very good rotation. You mentioned Carrasco. I think he's going to have a big bounce back here. Lindor. Lindor was great in the month of September, had the three homer game against the Yankees. But for April through August, Todd, he didn't resemble the guy I saw with the Cleveland Indians. He was a totally different player. Was that New York? Was that the big contract? Was it adjusting to a new league? What was the biggest factor you think in Lindor not being the player that we're used to seeing? And do you expect him this year? I know I do to break out and have a monster 2022. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all three things that you mentioned. I think it's New York. I think it's a contract. And I think it's, you know, being uh, acclimating to a new team and a new league. Um, Look, he had a great spring last season. He's having a great spring again um, this season. I got to do the game uh, the other day where he had two homers and another base hit. And in that game, I saw something click in him when one at bat. We talked about it yesterday on BNNY. Uh, or day before, and I really felt like he settled into um, his his comfort zone at the plate during and at bat, and then he's been on fire since then. I think he's got all of those expectations, contract, New York, all of that stuff is now behind him. There's a new guy that everybody's focusing on uh, this season named Max Scherzer. Now I think Lindor can really be an integral piece to the whole puzzle, but I don't think he feels this time like he has to put the team on his back and and carry them to the promised land. He's a part of the solution, and I agree with you. I mean, he was solid defensively last year. <clears throat> he stayed healthy for the most part, but um, I think his confidence at the plate and having gone through the trials and tribulations that he went through last year is going to bode well for him to be really, really strong this season. You got three brand spanking new lineup additions. Which one specifically are you the most excited to watch? No, I, I'm excited to watch Starling Martin because I think he can do some things that are really 
exciting to watch his speed, his explosiveness, his ability to, you know, go first to home, his ability to steal bases, those types of things. Um, I think are going to be exciting to watch. I'm really, um, you know, I, I think I'm really excited about the addition of Eduardo Escobar as well, though. I think maybe um, in that case, he's a little more understated. Uh, he, you know, is kind of a, a quiet guy, has tended to be under the radar the last few years, but this guy knows how to hit, is solid defensively, and knows how to drive in runs. That's the part that I'm excited to see because he's a run producer. And, and with some of the other pieces in this lineup, he's going to have a lot of opportunities to drive in runs. He knows how to drive in runs. It's for both sides of the plate, and he drives in big runs. I've seen him in very clutch situations. So um, I'm excited to see how it plays out with him in that lineup, middle of that lineup every day. I think he can be a really disruptive force in that Mets lineup. You know, that's a good point, Todd, about the Mets the last two years and their inability to hit with runners in scoring position. It seems like all three of these guys that they brought in are terrific when it comes to hitting with runners in scoring position. So I know Conforto's not going to be back on this team more than likely. Uh, you're getting Cano back in the fold. You lose Baez. But I think they have added guys who should help in that it factor that maybe has been lacking from this team. When you combine the clubhouse presence of Scherzer, the runners in scoring position type deal that I think matters. I know some advanced stats guys are going to tell you otherwise. I call BS on that. I think it helps change the vibe. I really do. And if you're looking at one guy in this lineup that you think is an X factor for them, if they're going to win the, the National League East this year, if there's one guy in the lineup that you think is really going to step up, who would it be? Man. Um, gosh, I that's a great question because I don't. the thing that I think I like about this team more than anything else is it doesn't have to be just one guy. I think because of the fact that they've added, like you're saying, quality players that hit with runners in scoring position, that lengthen the lineup, that are more balanced. Um, it's not about having a superstar come in and, you know, be a 50 home run guy. Although I think Alonzo is going to, you know, be, you know, just continue on his progression. I think, um, you know, what I saw out of him middle to late last season his ability to adjust to hitting situations, to drive the ball to right field and, and just drive in one at a time, to be patient when he wasn't having anybody with success hitting behind him, take more pitches, zone in on the uh, on the ball over the plate. Uh, I think he has the ability to really take it to you know the level that he had back in his rookie season. Maybe it's not 50 home runs, but I think he's going to be a guy that has a big um, – run producing year he's I think he'll be back up in the 40 home run range and will just be you know the solid run producer in the middle of that lineup that we're going to also you know be awestruck once in a while when he hits balls 500 feet going to be an awesome season of Met baseball you guys are going to be killing it on SNY I'm looking forward to watching night in and night out but while we have you here the uh -oh. viral video that I saw I sent it to you and our buddy the great Anthony makes you <laughs> Greg Vaughn, and a young Joe Buck. Todd Zeal, I, I, who would have known back, what was this, like in like 1992? 90, well, when was that video? It, 1980, so, 89. You don't, don't want to know this. 89, I was like six months old. Okay, I, I should have yeah. told you that. But, so you, know. so you, you were sitting in front of the, propped in front of the TV, absorbing. Exactly. Time, all this it, yeah. like excellence, all of this craziness. Um, 
Could you have imagined Joe Buck being like this TV megastar that he is? Like, obviously, you know, he rose through the ranks and he did a lot of your big games with the Mets and with the Rangers and you name it. But like when you were doing that interview, you're like, yeah, this guy is going to be like a TV superstar. I knew knew he was going to be I I knew he was going to be a successful broadcaster. I mean, he has um, the family pedigree, obviously. Uh, but you know, that wasn't my first experience with him. He was, he was the regular broadcaster for my Louisville Redbirds team. So, um, I got to hear him on a day in and day out base. I had done a lot of interviews with him. We actually, uh, were roommates for, uh, when I got called up in, uh, in August of that year, Joe had an apartment in St. Louis. That's his home, obviously. And so we were roommates for that first uh, month of my big league career. And I always knew. He was going to be, um, you know, the guy that he is now. I didn't know what path it was going to take. But um, the thing that's probably more crazy about that is that those two guys that he interviewed actually had big league careers. And, and I, good I, ones, I, might I add. Good yeah, ones, I, not too shabby. And, and, and Greg Vaughn uh, still is a guy that I love to see. Every once in a while, we, see, we, we run into each other on the golf course, and um, we reminisce about that because he and I had battled it out for the previous three years in the minor leagues at every level kind of battling it out on opposite teams. And so we were friends as well. So I love seeing that. I can't get enough of that, uh, that video. And just, it makes me laugh and remember, you know, damn, I was uh, a lot younger then. Nah, he's still looking great. By the way, I mentioned on TV yesterday, Yankee killer. This is what I do in the Uber ride back from SNY. Your batting averages against the Yankees in the postseason: 364, 333, 400 in the World Series in 2000. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna forget about the 99 ALDS because I think you and your Ranger teammates nobody hitting that series. That was only yeah. 100. But I would say probably Todd Zeal's hitting well over 300 against Yankees in playoff games. So I was right, Yankee killer. Yeah. No, I I always enjoyed that competition. I think there's something just even as a kid, as a as a Dodger fan, as a kid watching the Yankees always spoil. Um, you know, the Dodgers hopes or have those epic battles. I always, you know, dreamt about the opportunity to play in Yankee Stadium in a big game. So, um, you know, I felt like it was top of the game, top of the world when we when we go, especially go into Yankee Stadium. So I always loved having any any bit of success. So I didn't know this. I can't believe I didn't remember this because I remember everything. You Uh-oh. homered in your first Yankee at bat? I did, which was, you know, the weirdest part about that whole thing is that um, I had a a rough spring. And then right towards the end of spring, I asked Soriano, Alfonso Soriano, if I could use one of his bats. And he used one of those heavy bats. Didn't he swing like the heaviest bat? He swung a huge bat, like a 35-inch, 35-ounce bat, right? So I'm like, can I try this thing out? And I got hot right at the end of spring. So I bring that with me. And um, my first at bat is that Soriano bat in, if he's looked in the replay. So the funny thing about it, JJ, is that because that was that home run set a, a weird record, but a record at the time because I was the first player to homer for 10 different teams. And that, that homer was that record. So they took my bat, which was Soriano's bat, and authenticated it and took it to the Hall of Fame. And so I lost use of the bat for one thing, but then years later I was doing, uh, I always wondered what happened to it. I was doing um, the hall of fame classic in Cooperstown, which always gives us an opportunity to go into the archives 
of the Hall of Fame. And they opened a bat rack that had a, a bunch of random bats in it. And I saw a two seven on the on the uh, on the end of the the bat, and I'm like, "That's my writing." Pulled it out. Lo and behold, it's the Soriano bat uh, that is says Soriano on it, but it, it was my bat used for that uh, for that home run. They messed with the juju, Todd. They messed yeah, oh, with yeah. the juju. I that, mean, that's I, the problem. I, I went downhill from there. I would have been fighting them tooth and nail. Keep that bat. Listen, thanks for doing this. Real quick, final one, fact or fiction: the Mets will win the NL East in 2022. I think they will, fact, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think it's a big yeah. year for the Mets. Listen, we'll be watching yeah. on SNY, continued success, and uh, ho- hopefully I see you at one of these big concerts this summer. It makes, uh, you know, oh, the, yeah. the venues, I, 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 whether I'm we're going on stay, whether we're going to Brooklyn, let's go here. I'm planning it, man. I'll be there. I've got a couple that I had to check over with my schedule, but I think I'm going to road trip it up there upstate. That that sounds like a fun time. Todd Zeal, keep at it, baby. Thanks for a couple minutes, all right? Always a pleasure, JJ. Thanks, buddy. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Trivia time. So my performance in 2022 has been awful. There's no beating around the bush. I don't want to be making excuses like Brian Cashman. I, I got to be accountable. So we'll see if uh, Larry's going to take it easy on me. We'll see. JJ, Larry in Florida, two baseball, two baseball for you tonight. First question, who was the AL batting champ last year? Second question is, there was only three guys in the majors last year to hit 300 and above and still 20 bases or more. What three guys were they? I'm out. Larry thinks he's taking it easy on me. I am not convinced Larry's taking it easy on me. The AL batting champ from last year. Hmm. AL batting champ last year. Jose Ramirez. Oh for one. There you go. Oh for one. You see, I'm off to a high flying start already, Larry. Off to a high flying start already. Jesus. Hmm. Where to go? Where to go? Where to go? It's not with Merrifield. It's not what made you. It's probably in Asheville. I think it's one of two guys. Because I had one of them in fantasy. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice on this. Stefan, was it Yuli Guriel? There we go. There we go. I needed that. I needed that. See, because I had Gurriel and Brantley. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if Brantley had enough at bats. And I don't even remember what his batting average was. He's always a good high average type of guy. And Gurriel, I picked him up off waivers last year and it was tremendous. And I have him on my team this year. So Yuli Gurriel, the ageless wonder. Okay. Now, question two from Larry. I'm proud of myself. Second, third guess. I'll live with that. Three guys, 300 batting average, and 
20 stolen bases going back to last year. Three guys. 20 steals. 300 batting average. Remember, there aren't many guys who are going to have 300 batting averages these days. There aren't going to be many guys who have 20 steals. I think I have one right out of the gate, Larry. Starling Marte. One down, two to go. Starling Marte, who is a New York Met. And I think it'll depend on if he's leading off the bat in second. I think it depends on the matchup. Okay, Starling Marte is one. Number two, Jose Ramirez, who I love giving out as a trivia guest. Don't ask why. It is not Jose. Okay. No way, Jose. No way, Jose. 300 batting average, 20 stolen bases. It's not Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts did not hit 300 last year. I don't think Tatis hit 300 last year. Hmm. I think I got one. Cedric Mullins. You know, I was confident in that one too, Stefan. I was confident in that one. All right. We're going to the phone a friend here. American or National League players, Stefan? One American League, one National League. Um, household names, yes or no? Uh not uh one is definitely not a household name. One is a fairly, fairly popular player, I'll say that. Okay. Fairly popular player. Hmm. I don't think you got the stolen bases. No. No. Oh, I think I, I think I know. I think I know one of them. Ozzy Albies. No, not to be. Not to be. All right, Stefan, I need some hints to finish strong here. I, I'm already moving in the right direction, so no reason to keep beating around the bush here. They both play the same position, which is shortstop slash second base. Shortstop slash second base. Marcus Simeon? I was confident in that, too. Not Marcus Simeon. Hmm. I'm like going through the I'm like going through teams right now in my head, folks. Thinking of shortstops, thinking of second baseman. See, I'm gonna be annoyed now. I am most definitely gonna be annoyed. I'm giving one more guess, and I'm waving the white flag. Gene Segura? <laughs> Who the hell is it, Stefan? Trey Turner and Nicky Lopez. Should have gotten Trey Turner. Nicky Lopez? I'll admit I would have never moved. Yeah, he was the guy I said, you probably, yeah. he's not really that good. I would, but Trey I would Turner? say that Trey, by the way, I would say Trey Turner is somewhat of a household name. Yeah, that's he's what I said. I said name. he's he's yeah. kind of a household name. I mean, he's not, he's not, let's put it this way. He's not Aaron Judge. He's not Mookie Betts, but he's had a fantastic career. Fantastic yeah, yeah, yeah. That's career. what I'm saying. If you, if you, if you like baseball, you know Trey Turner, but it's, he's no, not no. like a household name. He's not the first guy you're going to, that's going to roll off your tongue when you're talking baseball players. 100%. All right. We moved in the right direction with Sherman. Listen, we'll take the, the minor win any which way we can. All right, Jeff Bonney, before we say goodbye, what do you got for Saturday, baby? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for our final four. Two games left. Can't believe it's already almost over for Saturday, the second. 
All right, game number one. Before I say anything, I was 13-6 and six so far in this tournament, rocking and rolling. Let's even keep it going. Money play, I'm going to go with North Carolina plus the four over Duke. And I'm going to take Villanova plus the four and a half over Kansas. Again, money play, North Carolina plus the four and Villanova plus the four and a half. And everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, I am not going to spoil my picks. That'll be on the Ringer Gambling Show, Manana with Joe House. I tell you this, I know for certain I will be heads up on one of your two plays without hesitation. The other game, I'm on the fence. I could go either way. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to roll dice a little bit. And I'm going to come to a grand conclusion in about 14 hours or so. Probably even less than that. I can't even count. I'm in disagreement on one of the picks. And you might have agreement on one of them. You might. Not totally so. We might be heads up in both of these games. Remember, Sunday, biggest X factor for the Yankees and the Mets if they're going to have successful 2022 seasons. Leave them on the voicemail line. Ringer Gambling, we got a Final Four preview tomorrow. We're back Sunday. We got a one-year soiree. How about that? One-year anniversary in New York, New York. What a time to be alive. Stefan, fabulous job. We're back. Ringer Gambling tomorrow. New York, New York on Sunday. And then we're doing a green room Thursday after the Met game. Yankees at one, Mets at four, green room right after the game. And we'll be posting it as a podcast. So remember I said that. Green room. And we're going to have a lot more green rooms throughout the baseball season and net playoff run. Don't you worry. We'll be back rocking and rolling on green room. Or as Alex Newark calls him, the J room. I-, I can't take credit for that. I don't think Spotify would like it, but you get my drift. All right, JJ out. Viva Las Vegas, baby. Forget everybody. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.